1: Peter? Hey, I'm Anissa Foles. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Fergie El-Philippe. Hi, I'm Eliza Oman Hola, soy Florencia Cuenca. Y yo soy Jaime Lozano. Hi, this is Elle Morgan Lee. It's Alex Brightman from Broadway and beyond. Hi, this is Joe Iconis. And this is Lauren Marcus. ¿Y ¿Estás escuchando? And you're listening to B-Way Show. B-Way Show. B-Way Show. The podcast.
2: Hey, friends. Welcome to B-Way Show, the podcast your home for theater conversations from a passionate Broadway fan and reporter. I'm your host, Shoshana, and I want to start off by emphasizing Black Lives Matter, period. The show must go on! This week's guest is Abe Goldfarb. Abe is best known for being in the original Broadway cast of Beetlejuice. He originated ensemble roles like The Mover and Neighbor and understudies Beetlejuice, Adam, Otho, and Maxi Dean. Abe directed The Horror at Gallery K and has been on screen and done voice work in When in Rome, Pokemon, and so much more. Get ready for his incredible rendition of Sweet Transvestite in this episode, and then guess what? We're making this a two parter. It's showtime. Enjoy part one of our conversation from September 9th, recorded for my live YouTube series, The Show Must Go On Line. Enjoy. We are live! Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Show Must Go On Line. Today's guest is Abe Goldfarb. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing so much better now that I'm speaking with you, Shoshana.
2: You are so lovely. Thank you. The feelings are mutual. There are some people who you just have this feeling like, oh, this is going to be fun. I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. It's going to be fun.
0: <laughs> I, I will try not to suck at being interviewed. I'll do my best. Suck yes! Yes, suck yes!
2: Get ready for the Beetlejuice, uh, all, all of it, because... Oh,
0: I'm, I'm ready. I'm so ready.
2: I love the show. I saw it three times on Broadway. Wow!
0: Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. Including on Halloween,
0: <gasps> you were there when like eighty percent of the audience was in costume. Oh, <laughs> Haley St. James, what's up <laughs> there in the car?
2: Big fan <clears throat> of Haley.
0: Oh yeah, same. Great, terrific writer, and and a, and a huge fan of Coldplay. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to hear about Coldplay, go follow Haley
0: St. Yes. James. Yes, that's correct.
2: (laughs) Excellent, excellent. And on that note, uh, we see all of your comments. Hello, Judy. Hello, Amanda. Big shout out. If you have questions, just comment below. We will get to them throughout the interview. We'll kind of just sprinkle them in, if you will. And it's always so fun to see all of your faces and and names. Faces and names.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you you saw the show three times, including Halloween. Beetlejuice,
2: Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I love that.
2: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's funny because Beetlejuice was one of those shows where, to this day, have never seen the movie. Really?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, it depends on the generation. I mean, for people my age, I'm 41. And so for people my age, it's generally just one of those things that you've seen. But definitely one of the coolest things about the show, which I just love. I love the show. One of the coolest things about it is that it has become the sort of canonical definitive Beetlejuice to a certain segment of the population, which is is very humbling to be a part of that legacy.
2: Amazing. Yeah, it's really fun to hear and and see like all the fans and see how the ages range, because a lot of shows, I, I guess this is what I was thinking, like you have maybe like this target demographic or this, but you've got like the younger generation who only know of it as The musical probably through TikTok, which is crazy.
3: Yes,
0: this was. I'll tell you something. I I started noticing it a couple months after we opened because TikTok didn't really explode until really like the summer.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. I think
0: it was like June or July. It was. I'm pretty sure after the Tony's performance.
2: Okay, that makes sense. I
0: I believe the Tony's performance went viral, and that was rad. But what really, really, and I I was the mopping uh, football player. In the Tony's performance in the bowels of Radio City. But I remember that TikTok started throwing up all of these lip syncs. And our one of our producers, Mark Kaufman, who works with Warner Brothers Theatrical, I remember mentioning it to him because yeah. he he would hang out in the theater because he was as big a fan as any of us. And I was like, man, have you started paying attention to this thing, TikTok? And he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do like a partnership with them or something. And I was like, good, because all the fans are there. <laughs> They're all on there. It's astounding.
2: That's amazing to hear that the connection was there, which doesn't always happen, right? Yep. There's, a, there's a lot of time the, the young fans and they're like, this is what we want. And then the producers or director, or, you know, whoever might be calling the shots at that moment, they're like, that's cool, but this is what we're doing.
0: Right. But- no, there was, there was always a sense of, well, I think anything, I know for a fact, Warner Brothers developed the show because it was a huge hit movie and it's like iconic. Yes, it's it's intellectual property that enough people would know about that you could get, you know, asses in seats right off the bat. But then you have like a whole job after you've got the first bunch of asses in seats, which is how do you how do you convince people that this is a worthwhile take, especially when tickets cost what they cost on Broadway? Right. And it was and it was a long road to figuring out a what the show was at its core and b uh, who the audience was. Mm. Things really clarified down in Washington, D.C., and uh, during our previews in New York, and then clarified even further when, when the kids took over. I mean, the the kids are amazing to me. These are the kids who totally trolled, you know, Trump's rally in Tulsa. You know, the TikTok generation is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I love them.
2: <laughs> I love them so much. Yes. I, I love everything about them and they've really taken like the political stance and their like their own take on so many things and they're like i'm not going to be told what to say yeah
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely Mm -hmm. these are the people who are going to save us
2: yes yes i agree and um (laughs) okay also just as uh, a heads up y'all i see your comments as i mentioned also I see them better with my glasses, which oh. make a circle in this ring light. So I'm going to take them off for most okay. of the interview, but get to them with the interview later. So just in case if you see me going like this, like a grandma, I have astigmatism. <laughs> and Same. Oh,
1: yeah. Me too. We have so much in common.
2: So much. So yeah. much. So let's just start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. And what's your origin story? What got you into theater?
0: Oh, well, gosh. Uh, I grew up on Long Island in Port Washington uh, on the North Shore, which I uh, hated. And I <laughs> I got, as soon as I was out of junior high, I was out of Port Washington. I went to high school uh, on a farm in Vermont, a place called the Putney School. Wow. And, uh... I was part of this effort to uh, renovate a barn that was sort of a derelict barn and turn it into the theater for the school because, you know, they were using like the assembly hall, stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, this barn got turned around and fixed up and it became the theater. Now they have like a really expensive, gorgeous, you know, sort of theaterplex at the Putney School. But this was this was the first step. And in high school, I was, you know, a theater nerd. Good and I knew that I wanted to do theater. I was less interested in film. I was I was much more interested in theater. And, you know, my parents were big stage people. My dad, he claimed that he was a bad actor, but I never saw evidence. So I, I can't begin to say. But he was he was delighted uh, that I was getting into it. And I wound up auditioning for theater schools in the UK. I, uh, I got into Marymount Manhattan for a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Uh, and I was also going to study religious psychology. And then... While I was in the run-up to the school year starting, I just, for the shits of it, went to uh, the UK and auditioned for, I think it was RADA, Lambda, Central, and the Bristol Old Vic. And I I didn't expect much. Like, I think I got a call back at RADA. And then I got a call back at the Old Vic, and then I heard nothing. And my first day of classes at Marymount Manhattan, I got a, a, a piece of paper on my desk which said, call mother. Urgent family business, not death. (laughs) (laughs) Good disclaimer. I was honestly great. That's terrific because I'm very neurotic. And so just having like P.S. not death. So yeah, this was September 1997. And I called my mom and she said, are you sitting down? You're you're in the Old Vic. And the Old Vic uh, did a three-year program that took 13 kids. And uh, so I did this super intensive three-year study where it was like 8.45 to 7, five days a week and uh, built up a powerful tolerance for alcohol and, uh, and clubbing. <laughs> <laughs> and fell in love with a Welsh lass <laughs> for a minute. And uh, yeah, that was sort of, the Old Vic was the best education I could possibly have asked for. It was just total immersion, hard work, really hard work. I've actually never had to work harder than I did at the Old Vic. Mm. Probably until Beetlejuice, but it was good. It put me in good stead. You know, the first day at the first dance class, we had this uh, dance teacher named Gail Gordon, who is a, an incredible person. This hard drinking Northerner who uh, she was a contortionist with the circus, Ooh. which is a completely unfair in terms <laughs> of like teaching <laughs> a bunch of little dinglings how to dance. Yeah, and yeah. and the first day. The first day, she had us go down into a squat for a half hour. Like, I mean, take a half hour going down into a squat—the <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's most. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's full. It's like a military experience. <laughs> but yeah, the first year was all classes, and then the second year was touring shows. Uh, we did the nativity. I was Joseph, uh, the one Jew in the cast. Uh, hey,
3: go Jews! Is,
0: right. We did the nativity. We did, unfortunately hiawatha uh which starring a bunch of pasty oh no ca- caucasians uh was I'm, I'm gonna say hashtag problematic Fair. and then and then we did charles dickens uh hard times nice. which was a three hour long adaptation where we all had heavy makeup and also we were basically the crew we had a two-ton set that we had to move around we had like i think 30 lights we had to install and uh that was that was the real boot camp So that by the time you got to year three, when you were just doing in-house productions, it was actually like a holiday. (laughs) Because you're just like, oh, I can just get up and walk to the theater. Right. (laughs) Like, that's fine. Instead of touring around the southwest of of England on like three hours of sleep for six weeks. It was really intense. I loved it.
2: That sounds (laughs) amazing.
0: Yeah.
2: Hilarious and hard, but amazing.
0: Very. Yeah. And then I came back to New York. And had no success through my 20s uh, as an actor. So that was cool. I mm-hmm. love that for me.
2: <laughs> I love that journey for you. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, after a few years of um, of really just big nothing, I, uh, I did a really shitty production of a, of a not-so-great play. Uh, and a friend of one of the cast members came out to our closing night party and told me exactly how terrible the show was. And I had to agree. And we basically just shot the shit and talked a little. And I got very, very drunk. And I sang Fix You by Coldplay.
2: <laughs> it always <laughs> comes back to
0: Coldplay. It always comes back to Coldplay. And the, guy, the, friend of the, the friend of the cast member was like, you know, you can sing. And I was like, I know. <laughs> I was the worst. And he said, listen, I'm a burlesque host. I host burlesque shows, and I'm doing a thing where I'm running for burlesque mayor, and I feel like this character should have, like, an embarrassing relative who fucks up their mayoral run. (laughs) So this guy was Johnny Porkpie, who's a sweetheart and a dear friend, and I was Keith Porkpie, his bastard half-cousin, and so I started doing guest appearances in these burlesque shows, (laughs) and... Then I started getting asked to host shows on my own. And I was like, I can't be Keith Porkpie because he's Johnny Porkpie. And I was like, okay, Bastard Keith. That's my (laughs) my character name. And so I've been hosting burlesque shows as Bastard Keith now for since 2006. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And that kind of, that's actually led to pretty much everything career-wise. Like I've gotten into a lot of rooms where me being a downtown scuzzball art kid is very valuable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it turns out to be a terrific hook you know
2: that just goes to show people talk about like oh this journey or i'm supposed to do that or oh we have to go specifically like abc but no because when you try to play by the rules and just do what you're quote-unquote supposed to do that's not
0: you're not supposed to do anything Mm
2: -hmm.
3: like
0: you've just got to make stuff you know i mean I wound up pulling a decent paycheck as a burlesque host eventually, you know, and I got to work with people who were amazing. I got to travel the world. It took me over to Vancouver. It took me to Helsinki. I mean, I did a month run in a in a, a Cirque show, like a a bizarre adult circ show over in Helsinki. It put me up in an apartment and like paid me to do a job like it was astounding. And I do uh, cartoon voices as well. I'm on Pokemon or rather I was uh, my characters have have come to to the end of their run. Uh, and they're moving, I think, the recordings out to L.A. But the reason that I got in the room for that was because one of the producers of Pokemon was a huge fan of Burlesque and enjoyed my work and was like, listen, do you want to have an audition? You know, and so cool. you know, I tell me if I'm babbling. You pr- you have questions. I'm I'm like, Brr.
2: this is perfect. This is exactly what <clears> you want. Yes. Great.
0: And also it was it was very much the foundation of what I brought into the room for the Beetlejuice audition.
2: So how, how did you hear about that? And then what was that process like?
0: Well, I have uh, a wonderful manager, Naomi Colstein, who's with uh, Bohemia Group. And she, I was really burned out Yeah. on musical theater. Like I was just not having fun. And I was starting, my, my work was really becoming more acting in commercials and doing voiceovers and, and doing burlesque. And I didn't book the workshop. I got called in to audition for the workshop. Then I got called in to audition for the DC tryout and I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I I just feel like I'm done. Like it's just not fun anymore. And Naomi was like, you're doing it. You're doing this audition. So I, I went and I read the materials and I was like, Oh, this is, this is burlesque hosting like Beetlejuice is an MC. Yes. And there's a kind of funny that's Broadway funny. And that's not the kind of funny that I, Necessarily go for,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and that's not to insult it. It's just not my sensibility. Totally. But there is a kind of funny on Broadway that's I think quite uh, safe because you know you have to appeal to a very broad number of people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And what struck me in the Beetlejuice material was that it was not playing to that at all. It was especially in the Washington D.C. version. <laughs> I was,
3: have heard. <laughs>
0: but it, it was skewing very dark, very twisted, very you know, very genuinely funny. And it made sense later when I met Brightman because, like, it's so tailored to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is one of the most naturally funny human beings I have ever encountered in my life. So, yeah, I, I listened at the door to see how people were delivering it all. <laughs> because, well, I was like, I just want to know if I'm crazy, if I'm going to go in there and just tank it. Everyone else was delivering it fairly traditionally, beautifully. And I just went in and was sort of very abrasive and, uh, and foolish. And it worked and I got called back and they gave me, you know, cause I was going in for the ensemble and for understudy roles. Mm. And so then I was reasonably confident in my Beetlejuice, but then they started handing me like Adam Maitland, Charles Dietz, Otho, Maxie Dean. And I had a good handle on most of them. And Otho, Otho changed a lot uh, between not just the workshop and DC, but between DC and New York. And uh, I thought, well, I need to make at least one choice that could cost me this job. <laughs> so i did it with otho i was like i'm gonna do basically like james mason meets the moonanites from aquatine but like really queer <laughs> as it always should be and it worked out uh i it got laughs i was very very i was very grateful for that and then we had a we had a final round of callbacks and you know, I arrived, and the hallway was full of the most astonishingly pornographically beautiful people I've ever seen in my life—just like stunning human beings. And I was like, "Oh fuck, I'm not booking this at all." And uh, and then I saw a bunch of like, you know, character guys <laughs> sitting in the corner, and I was like, "Ah, yes, Why not this, this is my corner, <laughs> and I did fine in the singing. I did fine in the acting, and I totally shit the bed in the tap. The tap was a disaster. I'm not a tap dancer. And I thought, well, that's that. And then a few weeks later, I was told that I was on a very strong hold for the show. And I thought, well, that's that. I'm definitely not booking it. And then I got the call that I was doing it. And we did. DC was the most fun. DC was so much fun. And I understand why it had to change. Like, I do. But I miss a lot of the more chaotic, horrifying stuff. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, DC was so much filthier and so much more violent. Uh, Maxie Dean died in DC. Really? Yeah. Uh, Beetlejuice, instead of summoning up the big puppet at the end of Act One, Beetlejuice conjured basically a bunch of murder clowns out of the floorboards who dragged Maxie Dean down into the ground and, like, buzz sawed his limbs off. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, like, Maxine Dean was left holding, like, a bloody stump of Maxie's arm, uh, you know, before she runs off stage screaming. And Beetlejuice, instead of let's all get naked in the whole Being Dead thing, to it was show me your penis. It was just really, really, show me your penis. Not worth a try. (laughs) And there was also the pig dick. There was a big old cock on the pig. No. Uh, Yeah, the pig had a curly, (laughs) gigantic. (laughs) The pig had a, a gigantic cock. So not kosher. Waggling, not kosher at all, just waggling around. And Leslie Kritzer, who is a comedy demon, made sure most nights that it like flopped into her mouth as she was fighting off the pig. She was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> And also the Girl Scout almost definitely died in DC. That
3: makes uh, sense.
0: Well, because she collapsed with a heart attack in the middle of the song, and her body was just on stage for most of Beautiful Sound. And then at the end, she jumps up and goes, I am alive. My heart's stronger than I ever imagined. And Beetlejuice just goes, go get those cookies and hands out knives to all the clones. And then they finish that beautiful sound. And it was like then later in the show, the clones come back eating the cookies and laughing. <laughs> the implication being they absolutely stabbed up the girl's <laughs> cats)
2: It's <laughs> a different storyline
0: and plot line. I love this. So different. And in D.C., of course, you did not have uh, Miss Argentina. In <gasps> in D.C., the netherworld was, uh, they got welcomed immediately by Juno, wow. uh, who back then was called Mrs. Shaguth, uh which is sort of a, uh, a Lovecraft reference. Oh. But uh, it was changed to Juno for New York because Juno was the character that people,
3: mm-hmm. people
0: know. But basically, she uh, welcomed all the characters to... The Netherworld and gave them a brief orientation performance by a dead boy band uh called Boy Inferno, uh, who had died in a plane crash and who were like covered in horrible burns. And oh, did no. this did this full-on 90s boy band song called Everything Is Meh, which was all about how in the Netherworld everything's like fine. I like whatever. Need see this what? it's, I would never in a million years suggest uh searching for a bootleg in a million years.
2: It could never happen.
0: If it fell in your lap, watch it because that number is fucking absolute chaos. But so we did, we did the show down there and it was like a summer camp experience. It was the most fun and none of the ensemble had contracts for New York. Wow. Um we knew that that we were going to be opening at the at the Winter Garden but we didn't know if we had the show. And so I spent the winter basically not knowing if I had a job. I got called back into audition again for it. And by the way, I must say uh, Al- the reason that I was in there at all is Alex Timbers uh, because he he saw me for a bunch of shows over the years, like um, Peter and the Starcatcher, back when Roger Rees uh, was alive, rest his soul. Mm. So I got to audition for Timbers and Roger Rees. He brought me in for uh, an ensemble part in Rocky. I didn't get that. He brought me in for a role in I think it was called Up Here, which was a show he did out in La Jolla, and I didn't book that. And the mistake I think. a lot of actors make is if a director keeps calling me in and doesn't cast me he must not like me and it's like no he keeps calling you in right keep going in and timbers is a genius i mean it's all just chaos and chance and i'm very lucky things came along at the at the right time but so i i wound up waiting until uh january before i knew that i was in the show wow and a lot of the other ensemble had already gotten the call, but I found out later that the reason that it took so long was because the coverage for understudies was very different. And so they needed to, they brought in like way more coverage and they needed to sort out who was doing what. And Timbers, bless him, is just one of the kindest people I've ever met. And he himself just like came up to me when we were on break and was like, hey, just so you know, here's why it took so long for you to find out. We're really sorry about it. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that at all. He's just. One of the warmest, uh, most generous souls I've encountered in in theater
2: wow that's yeah. amazing that it's, it's always nice to hear those stories.
0: It's very rare that someone is as visionary as he is mm. and as considerate and
1: sweet,
2: yay so, yeah. oh, that is great, yes, yes, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> When I see understudies and swings, I just like, it blows my mind that you can have all of these different characters in oh, yeah. your brain, ready to go at a moment's notice. Sometimes you find out that day.
0: 20 minutes before.
2: Intermission.
0: Maxie Dean, I found out 20 minutes before the show uh, when I went on for him.
2: What goes through your mind?
0: Shit! well you know i just i your heart goes and then you're like okay what do i need to what do i need to know like in terms of tracking what changes for me because i'm doing my full ensemble track plus this role uh yeah you don't like because you know danny retigliano and kelvin moonlow who did otho Mm -hmm. they were both also part of the ensemble for a lot of that first act right you know and, and second so you know i had to just be like okay I come off stage after this number. Then I have to go change my makeup, change my costume, get the wig on, come back down for this. And then I have to do this intermission. It's, it's just like Jenga. You know, you, you sort of have to reorganize it in your head. And I found out 20 minutes before the show. And I found Brooke, our, our dance captain, who is astounding. I don't have a bad word to say about anybody involved in this show. Yay! You, you are going to get absolutely zero dish. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. There's no tea to spill. Uh, It's just an extraordinary, extraordinary bunch of people. But Brooke took me through really quickly because I'd only rehearsed Maxie Dean once. uh, And she took me through the dance for Deo, and I was like, okay, great. And it all worked out. What? Yeah.
2: That's bonkers.
0: It's totally insane. But yeah, we were split tracking too. So like, you know, I was doing my track and then in the middle, Danny, and then me for the rest of the show. And then uh, I think it was Eric Johnson who did uh, the other the sort of fill-in bits on Danny's track. And then, like, for me, I think he was one of the lawyers while I was, uh, while I was Maxie Dane. Ooh, that, but, but, yeah, but also, I'd never, I'd never understudied for anything in my life. This was my first time doing it. And I'm understudying, you know, five roles, including two leads, you know. And so that was really scary. That was a lot of hard work. That was, that was genuinely, like, unnerving. And that really, video
2: you posted of you as Beetlejuice, <laughs> thank you. Oh, you got it. That's yes. amazing.
3: So my put in,
0: I my put in rehearsal for like a couple of weeks before we shut down because of <laughs> COVID. But you know, Rachel Botter, one of our, our 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 stage manager, was like, just so you know, like you're going on. You're gonna go on. Like you're gonna be put on the schedule because now I know that you can do this. And I was like, Okay. So had had COVID not happened. And I, would have, I would have gone on for Beach. And it would have been a beautiful challenge.
2: That beautiful sound would mm. have been music to our ears.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: So, all right. I, I feel like there are a few ways I want to go with this. But first, it's really cool that every Beetlejuice is unique. That it's not just, here's Alex Brightman. Now be Alex Brightman.
0: They didn't want that. They did not want it. That's why you get Will Blum being... Astounding in the role and nothing like him.
2: Yes. So when you're going through, I mean, because you're already undersetting an ensemble of these other characters, then you're acting with Alex on a daily basis, but you're also yeah. crafting your own Beetlejuice. What's that process like for you?
0: The process is, it's two parts. One is, what does he want in every scene? And just like try and be true to that. Because you can dress it up with a whole bunch of mannerisms, but it's not gonna give it clarity.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, so you have to you have to sort of find a clear trajectory. And then the other thing is what's some shit I can do that makes me laugh.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) Because I mean that's weirdly enough, that's the salient thing, not what Brightman did with the role, which was iconic, but the fact that I think so much of it was just engineered from a desire to amuse himself.
2: And you can tell, like, I mean, obviously it's acting, yes, but also there's joy in it.
0: So much joy. A, a genuine love of performance. hmm Yeah.
2: So when, when practicing or doing the put-in, are there moments that are especially scary, like the famous line?
0: Oh, well, gosh. Uh, wait, which famous, you can't say the famous line, is which, which one? Is it Showtime? It's showtime is fine. That was the one scene I totally fucked up in the, uh, in (laughs) in my pudding. I fucked up two little technical cues in there. And I was like, well, it's halfway through and I've shit the bed. Uh, But we recovered and we got through it. And then I knew what I had to do. But um, no, if there's anything scary, I'd actually say it's the big dance number and beautiful sound. Because there's so many bodies Mm -hmm. on stage. And I am not a person of modest dimensions. I'm a large, lanky man. And Alex is not as tall as me. And so I really had to modulate my movement so as not to whack into anybody, you know, because it is being on stage during that beautiful sound. I know it looks crazy out there. It looks 20 times crazier on stage in the middle of it. (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, I have to go upstage of that guy and not downstage of her or I'm going to get fucking clobbered and I need to get out of this way because Mateo's about to jump off the table. It is terrifying.
2: <laughs> There's so much athleticism in yeah. just that number alone.
0: Yeah, well, that number, is the, that number is the showpiece dance-wise. That's the one where, like, they pulled out all the stops.
2: Newsies <clears throat> dance break. Precisely. <laughs> I love a Newsy's dance break. Who well, is-
0: Among Us, et cetera.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Amanda says understudies and swings are a hundred percent superheroes. And I agree. <laughs>
0: oh man. Oh, it's, it is, it is nice to find out that people appreciate the stuff we do, you know? I mean, and I was working with a couple of superstars in there, you know, I mean, Will, uh, Sean Montgomery, Natalie Ellis, God, I mean, Kim Sava was just a force, you know, and, and our swings like Zach and Eric. I mean, these were just, and, and I mean, Brooke, wound up swinging in for a few shows.
3: Wow. You know,
0: I mean, sh- just incredible stuff. I mean, I, I have so much respect for it. And my, I honestly always felt like an intruder. I felt like I didn't belong because like I'm, as I say, like a scuzzy downtown art boy. And uh, everyone else is so disciplined and so experienced and so storied. And so the bar was very high and I felt a genuine responsibility. I was like, don't let these people down. Because they are putting in the hours, and you got to put them in two, and you've got to be there for them the way they are for you. It's all a fucking trust fall, you know.
2: Right. Yeah, it is. And it is such a downtown show on Broadway.
0: It really, I mean, the DC version, you straight up, the DC version was a $20 million downtown show. Wow. The the Broadway version was definitely like PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> but, but still edgier than most Broadway. 100%.
2: Shows. I mean, the fact that, and it's funny because I was just re-listening to my interview with Alex Brayman because the episode on B-Way Show, the podcast, dropped today. And we were talking about how creepy old guy, being in the show, you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be allowed, but I appreciate the honesty and the self-reflection of, No, we see what we're doing. It's not cool. We're going to call it out. And now we can continue on with the show.
0: That's correct. You know, down in DC, it was trickier because the show had been so filthy up till then Mm. that it was harder, I think, for people to see the irony of the number. I see. Because the show had been really rejoicing uh, in in filth up until that (laughs) point. But, you know, but I understand, like it really context matters so much tone and context and so a creepy old guy in dc i think a lot of people were like this is an ode to pedophilia
1: and it like
0: yeah i mean we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of nasty words down there about that and in new york it made more sense because it was like lydia Dietz has a scheme she's Mm -hmm. gonna carry off that scheme and she's gonna scam the biggest scam artist in the in the universe yes and so there was more it was more delineated the irony of all of it was clearer. And I, and I think like Eddie Perfect said it very well. Oh, God, Eddie, what a Lord. And by the way, we've we, I, we talked about how funny the show is. Anthony King and Scott Brown are princes among men. Really? Um, and also when it became clear that Beetlejuice was going to be canonically queer, Scott was really he got a phone call from uh, I, th- I can't remember what gay magazine it was, but they were like, we're hearing rumbles. This was during previews that Beetlejuice is is queer in your show. And Scott's response was, Beetlejuice respects no binaries, not even life and death.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
0: But Eddie talked about creepy old guy and he said, the thing was, what happens when you give a creepy old guy exactly what he wants? (laughs) And once you sort of frame it like that with Lydia Dietz absolutely at the steering wheel for all of this, and the show not being, I think, in some senses, Completely driven by Beetlejuice. Lydia's emotional life was clearer by the time we got to New York. Mm. And they were much more co-leads by the time New York happened. Which was just beautiful writing. It was great in D.C. It was pristine in New York. And yeah, it just all made sense. And it worked. It's a real tightrope walk. Like, how is this going to play? Right.
2: Well,
3: yeah, yeah, it definitely...
0: You were saying. No,
2: it did... <laughs> it the whole um the whole show just felt like this piece was meant to be there and like this guy knows what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. God damn, like, I love that joke.
2: Right. It's so funny because even though you know it's happening and then it happens again and again, it's so funny. It's better because
0: like- you it's better because you know it's coming. Mm. It's the whole Hitchcock thing of like I think the principles of suspense and comedy are very similar. Like, you know that there's a bomb under the table. Like, when's it going to go off? (laughs) You can't just say it twice. There's got to be a third one to close the circle.
2: It always has to be Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. That's right. Beetlejuice!
0: Exactly.
2: Haley saying non-binary King Beetlejuice.
0: We do stand and then be king.
2: Yes, yes, indeed. So this feels like a great opportunity to tell y'all, start thinking of your questions, write them down, get them in your noggin. And maybe we can get a special performance.
0: Maybe now or later.
2: <laughs> now, if now if it works <clears throat> for you,
0: let's let's do it. So I'm uh, I've always been a, a fairly enormous uh, dweeb, uh, especially for Rocky Horror. So I'm just gonna really quickly sing. My voice is a little out of practice, so this might be terrible. This one, sweet transvestite. Let's give it a shot. Sure.
1: <laughs> How'd you do? Ooh, I. See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little brought down, because when you knocked, he thought you were the c- c- man. Don't get stronger by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day. But by night, I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet trans that died from transsexual Transylvania. Let me show you around, maybe... Leo Sound, you look like you're both pretty groovy. <laughs> but if you want something visual that's not too abysmal, we could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right, we'll just stay where we are, then go back to the car. <laughs> We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat whale. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet trend that night. From transsexual Transylvania. Why don't you stay for the night? Or maybe a bite? I could show you my favorite obsession. You see, I've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan, and he's good for relieving my... Tension, I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual transylvania, <laughs> I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual transylvania. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah okay all right
3: I, I have
0: not really sung for a while that's nice that was fun thank you for letting me thank you for letting work. me be a little Chiponey. pony <laughs> thank you yeah you bet
2: Haley saying i'm living and i feel that just the same right in my soul
0: oh my well, uh, th- thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Also saying, Tim Curry would be so proud of this performance.
0: Please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so, so good. Anna Louise saying, Abe as Frankenfurter is everything I didn't know I wanted or needed, but I'm so happy right now.
0: I would die. I would die. And I'm <laughs> not I'm not the obvious casting for Frankenfurter, but <laughs> thank you.
2: <laughs> but now we've seen it and now we need it. <laughs> mm.
0: But yes, uh, thank you for indulging me. Thank you. Oh yeah, I love that song. I love that score. Actually, uh, if you like Rocky Horror, you should also check out Shock Treatment, Ooh. which was the uh, the non-sequel sequel uh, to Rocky Horror, which came out in the early 80s. Nice. Uh, and it was made by the exact same creative team and it bombed spectacularly. <laughs> and it's about Brad and Janet coming back to Denton and the town has been transformed into a giant TV station and, like, everyone just lives in the TV station. And it it kind of, it actually eerily predicted reality television. I also think Shock Treatment has a better score than Rocky Horror. I just think Shock Treatment has better songs.
2: Wow.
3: It's, it's you inc-
0: heard it
2: here first.
0: <laughs> but, yes, yeah, Shock yeah. Treatment.
2: Shock Treatment. Hell, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to have to check that out. I love Rocky Horror. We used to, I went to the University of Maryland. Go Terps. And I assume that's
0: it. short for turpentines. I don't know anything about sports but go on
2: let's stick with that and yes.
0: the maryland turpentines everyone's favorite sports ball team
2: sports ball
0: i feel it's like that's gonna be a grand dunk <laughs> <laughs> anyway so you went to university of maryland
2: now i'm just picturing the athletes running across the stage in the football netherworld scene mm. <laughs> good times good times
3: oh, yeah. So
2: at Maryland, they would have the, you know, Halloween showing of Rocky Horror and we would all get dressed up. And then I wanted to do that in New York. One of my friends was actually in a production there. And now, now that we like can't go out anywhere, I'm thinking like, can we all just have like this virtual Rocky Horror
0: Halloween extravaganza? That sounds like the most fun. I love that. I love it. Let's make it happen. Mm hmm. (laughs) let's do a thing let's do a thing i'd love to help i'd love to be a part of it i
2: love mm, so happy right now excellent excellent thanks for listening to the eighth episode of Way show the podcast if you like what you heard please subscribe rate and review so you could be a spy on the inside for future episodes This is part one of my conversation with Abe Goldfarb, so come back next time to hear the rest of his story. Plus, let's make this Rocky Horror Picture Show party happen. Do the time warp with us on Halloween, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Hashtag Rocky Horror Picture Show, that's S-H-O, to join the fun. Thanks as always to Kyle Braxton, aka Geddon, for these awesome beats, Jelani Remy for the beautiful intro riff, and Chelsea Hill, aka Illustrating Diva, for the cool cover art. If this was your jam, you can become a showtron. Head over to patreon.com slash Show. We do weekly trivia and monthly video chats. It's a fun time. Come check it out. Don't throw away your shot to have your voice heard in the election of 2020. Vote for change, vote for humanity, vote for a better future. Biden Harris 2020. We don't know the future of live theater or when Broadway will be back, but we do know it's on all of us to get through this pandemic. Wear a mask. Be safe and let's take care of ourselves. We'll see you at the show.